This Bible will have an article, What Does the Church Do When Displaced Peoples Come to You? What do you do as a church? How do you take care of refugees that have come into your community from another tribe, another land, another place? Something they actually struggle with. It's great to have you with us now for First Person, a weekly conversation with a guest who's been called and equipped by God to serve Christ in a unique way. This week, we turn our attention to Africa and learn about a new study Bible that promises to be a big help to the African church. We'll talk with Matthew Elliott of Oasis International. First, though, a reminder to use our new smartphone app to listen and not miss any of our interviews. Available free on both the Apple and Android platforms, First Person Interview will allow you to download and take programs with you on the go, in the car, at the gym, on long flights, anywhere you go. Download the app for free from your app store at your convenience. And along with our webpage, firstpersoninterview.com, I invite you to like our Facebook page as well, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. There you can interact with other listeners and leave your comments on what you hear on this program. That's facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Matthew Elliott is president of Oasis International, which seeks to satisfy Africa's thirst for God's Word, and I believe they're doing a great job. Matthew came to the studio recently to talk about Oasis and all that's going on, including a first-of-its-kind African study Bible. But we started talking about family. Well, we have, uh, my wife is Laura. We're heading up to our 25th anniversary. She just reminded me yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> which is exciting. We, we have a great relationship. I love my wife. And uh, three great kids, Jackson, Evan, and Kaylin. And in fact, I'm, uh, can I brag a little bit? Sure. Is that, well, why not? I, I'm just back from uh, the InterVarsity, what they call Interver- uh, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students in Mexico City. Uh-huh. And they had their, I think, every four years leadership meetings. And so there were students and leaders of students from 150 countries in Mexico City. And I brought my son, Jackson. And uh, I was out early on a little walk, praying, whatever, uh, before the campus woke up with all these uh, multinational people from from InterVarsity. And uh, the jogger went by us and said, wow, he said, one of the takeaways from this conference for me is seeing you with your son, because I brought our senior in high school, so I thought it would be great for him to kind of see what God is doing around the world with all these students. And he said, you know, to see him worship and to see you guys together was a highlight to me. I have a 10-year-old son, and I uh, I hope someday to have a relationship that's good with him like I observe. Now, I don't feel that in my heart, so whatever <laughs> happened with my son, God did it because I have lots of challenges with him. But he was there, and we were worshiping together, and um, I just say that to, to brag on my son more than my parenting. Well, but, take it from a dad who's slightly older than you are, yeah. who has uh, an adult son that uh, we traveled together when he was a young teenager, and uh, he nor I have ever forgotten those days. And really, it shaped his life in many ways to travel even internationally. Yeah. Amen. So so God can use those experiences, can he? Yeah. It was a lot of fun to be with him last week. Yeah. It's okay to brag about your kids. I think think God understands that, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. He brags about us sometimes with his children, right? (laughs) Now, um, I knew that uh, you received your Ph.D. a number of years ago. I didn't right. recall exactly where, but you reminded me it's in Scotland. In Scotland, University of Aberdeen, absolutely. What drove you to do that? 
The British system is a little different. Here, to do your PhD, you take classes, um, and that's about half, and then half is writing a dissertation. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the UK, it's all about the dissertation. Okay. And so you just work three, four, maybe even five years uh, working on this one thing. And God had put in my mind uh, to think about emotion in the scriptures, to think about emotion in the Christian life, and specifically the New Testament, um, which a lot of work has not been done on. Um, and so it was a place I could go and just really concentrate on that subject. All right. Well, we want to talk about publishing today because you are president of Oasis International. Right. And what was the genesis of this company? Well, my father uh, began it in the 1970s when he was uh, working in publishing, in Christian publishing here in uh, the Chicago area. And then it kind of went dormant for some years. And then we were asked to come help in Nigeria in West Africa. And that's the, the kind of the modern rebirth of Oasis. Was that a stretch for you to, to come to work in that in that way? Well, I actually started, you asked about my education. I actually started working, doing the books, doing accounting uh, while I was working on my PhD. So it was a way to do work, be able to work from home. And I was actually a business major in college and put some of those skills to, to work to su support my family. All right. What is the mission of Oasis International? Satisfying Africa's thirst for God's word. All right. You've got that nailed down, don't you? <laughs> there you go. You know, we, we've had a lot of each, each one of those words is kind of um, pregnant with meaning yeah. right, <laughs> that right. we've worked on as a board and an organization. All right. Before we talk about specifically what you're able to do to assist African believers, talk to me about Africa. I often say when people ask me about Africa that it's like the Grand Canyon. And that being, you know, if you, you open a book, you see pictures of the Grand Canyon, you see a documentary, you know, you, you don't really understand. Until you've stood on the edge of that Grand Canyon thing and looked over it, you don't comprehend what this thing called Grand Canyon is, hmm. you know, until you've stood at the edge. And, and so Africa is a lot like that. You know, you can see pictures, you can see uh, missions trip videos, wh whatever it may be, but but if Until you've stood on the edge and until you've seen it, it's difficult to understand. They often say that about China, that everything you've heard about China is true somewhere in China. <laughs> yeah, same, yeah. same thing I would imagine is true of Africa. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? A lot of diversity. Um, God is working in enormous church, enormous movements of faith, very spiritual people, and many challenges as well. Have you fallen in love with the people of Africa as a result of all this? Uh, absolutely. Let's talk about what's at hand, the Africa Study Bible. Right. And this is a very exciting project. Uh, back up and, and talk about uh, the need. And, and it's not just us helping the African church. It's uh, encouraging the African church to be what God has called them to be, right? Well, an interesting thing that a lot of people don't understand about Africa is the languages of education. And so you have these European colonial powers, and one of the things they left was educational systems. So you have 31 French-speaking African countries. You have 23 uh, English. You have four Portuguese. And so largely, if you go to school in one of those uh, 50 countries, if you go to school beyond fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade into university, it's going to be in French, it's going to be in English, it's going to be in Portuguese. Mm -hmm. And so often, uh, English may be a second language, it may even be a third language. Um, 
but especially with the internet, the media, the prevalence of that, our actual languages uh, are of Europeans have become the languages of education in, in Africa. But the content is not African. So they have books coming over from American illustration, American ways of life, American Bibles, American study Bibles, a study Bible being a Bible with notes, help, application. How do you, how do you apply the Bible to your life? And yet there's 400 million Christians in Africa, probably more, 400 million Christians, wow. and not a single study Bible to meet their needs. Everything's American. Everything's from the West if you speak English. And so you have hundreds of millions of Christians without resources that equip them for their own lives, their own cultural situations. Has there been any slowdown in the growth of the church, the evangelical church in Africa? There's still amazing growth, and I'm not sure at all that it's it's slowing down. Um, but the question that we face, especially in literature, is, okay, there's many people calling themselves Christians, but what kind of church is it going to be? Okay. And that's an open question for Africa. I don't consider that settled. Hmm. Um, is it going to be historical, biblical, orthodox faith as we know it as evangelicals in this country? And there's so many struggling with false teaching and offshoots and um, lack of education. And um, so there's there's still tremendous struggle. So there's many people who call themselves Christians. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I had a guest here in the studio set where you're sitting uh, from Sierra Leone. Yeah. And he's a church planter who has done far more than just plant churches. I mean, it's right. it, it involves the whole community and schools and, yeah. and health care and yeah. digging wells and all of that. Um, is that typical? I mean, are there are there others like him in Africa that we just don't know about? Absolutely. Um, the actual indigenous movement of Africans doing things for the kingdom that that we don't even know exist is absolutely uh, beyond comprehension. It's it's enormous. Actually, our head editor for the Africa Study Bible, Dr. John Jusu, who I work with weekly, if not more than that, is from Sierra Leone. We were sitting at one of the first editorial meetings, and somebody asked him, why are you the editor for this Bible? What makes you the guy? And I thought it was kind of an audacious question. <laughs> and not knowing John nearly as well as, as I do now, I was very interested to know his answer. Um, and he, without a blink, he said, I am Africa. He said, my country has been torn apart from civil war. My wife and I take care of 150 war orphans. He said, I've moved from the rural setting farm community to the city. He said, I'm teaching and living within a tribe in a setting that's not my own tribe and not my own people. My father was a polygamist. He said, I am Africa. Mm. And everybody's jaw kind of dropped in the room. And so that's, that's what we're dealing with, Wayne. We're dealing with the context. Uh, I was just with um, African brothers this morning from Jos, Nigeria, and their city is being inundated with refugees from uh, the attacks of Boko Haram and the churches that have been burned and so forth in northern Nigeria. And Jos, Nigeria has refugees from that crisis. What does the church do? This Bible will have an article 
what does the church do when displaced peoples come to you? What do you do as a church? How do you take care of refugees that have come into your community from another tribe, another land, another place? What's your responsibility as church? And it's something they actually struggle with. You know, on a, on a, it can happen in their communities, and it does happen. More about Oasis International Publishing for Africa coming up today on First Person. Our partner in bringing you these conversations each week is the Far East Broadcasting Company. For 70 years, FEBC has been faithfully proclaiming the gospel in local languages to scores of countries throughout Asia and beyond. Last year, over 2 million listeners responded to FEBC programs, an incredible number to comprehend. So to learn more about this effective means of reaching people for Christ and how you can help, just visit firstpersoninterview.com and click on the FEBC banner. My guest today is Matthew Elliott. Matthew is president of Oasis International, a publisher that is concentrating on getting good, solid biblical material onto the continent of Africa. Uh, state your mission for me one more time, Matthew. I want to hear. I want to hear you say it again. <laughs> Satisfying Africa's thirst for God's word. Africa's thirst for God's word. Amen. Uh, as you said about the whole educational system, there isn't a lot of African-produced material, is there? There isn't. And when it is, it's often localized. And so even just one city in Kenya will have a book from a local author that's a great book and would be very applicable in other places in Kenya, let alone Nigeria and other places where they speak English. And so that just is not happening well. And it's one of the things that that we wish to really concentrate on over the next years. All right. We'll talk about the new study Bible that's uh, being produced in a moment. But tell me about some of the other things you're able to produce and distribute in Africa. Well, we work with U.S. publishers in this country. I just saw Crawford Loritz on your wall. We have one of his, well, his some of his resources. On my wall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll take a book like that from Crawford and put it into an Afri- more African format, more African price points, more African production, so that instead of paying. 10 12 15 dollars a book you can buy that book for four or five what are the economics involved though that can't be easy to do well we consolidate as i said in earlier there's 23 countries in english speaking africa alone and so if you're able to look at those as a whole instead of just one country at a time you're able to create larger print runs save costs and uh, be able to to produce and and sell a book on a sustainable basis that actually works. You know, if you make $50, $100, $200 a month, um, if you have a $12, $15 book, it mines will be in Chinese. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many pastors in Africa graduate from seminary, and I will ask them, I'll ask seminary presidents um, and the most prominent seminaries on the continent, what happens to your your students when they become a pastor when they graduate? Well, they might have one, two, three books when they graduate. They'll make 25, maybe— Five years later, they'll make $50, $75 a month, and for at least the early part of their ministry, they'll never be able to afford a book Books again. Books out of the question. Out of the question. Yeah. So how, Jehovah's Witness comes to your town? You want to, you know, how do you know he shouldn't preach at your church mm. if you don't have something on your shelf that says this is what a Jehovah's Witness mm-hmm. believes, mm-hmm. you know? All right, let's focus on this new project. I know you're very excited about yeah. the Africa Study Bible. Yeah. I'm holding here the uh, Gospel According to John. This is the f- the first inclination, right? the first look at what this uh, study Bible right. is going to be like. Tell me about this. Well, we actually have 300 authors in 45 countries writing in 
four or five languages, um, notes and helps features to help people apply the Word of God to their lives. I'm looking uh, through the names in the committee here. Ghana, Zambia, Mozambique, Egypt, Kenya, Chad, Nigeria, Uganda, Burkina Faso, Nigeria, and South Africa. That makes up your committee. Let yes. Alone, let alone the writers. Yeah, let alone the writers. That's right. So, you know, we, we started this project. We had no idea how ambitious it was. We're working with an organization that has created 180 Bibles for the U.S. market, but they had nowhere to put this project. We realized <laughs> a couple years again, they've created 180 Bibles. They've never had a project that includes 300 authors speaking four languages from 50 countries. <laughs> and so, you know, it's infrastructure. Task, yeah. 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 So what makes this African? It's all about the application of the Word of God to specific situations in people's lives. So let, let give me, me an example. Yeah. Let me give you an illustration. So I talked about our um, senior editor, our supervising editor, Dr. Uh, John Jusu. And so he said, I'm out in a village and I am in a rural, a rural parish. And it's a place where there's, you can't drive a car to it. You have to walk. There's no sidewalks, no glass in most of the windows, a really rural place. He said, the pastor says, prayer is not like a vending machine. Put your money in, you push the button, you know, you get what you want out. Prayer is not like a vending machine. It's one of his illustrations for prayer. John says, you know, the first time I ever saw a vending machine was when I was a PhD student in U.S. Mm -hmm. Just doesn't compute, does it? Nobody in that congregation's ever seen a vending machine, and yet the pastor's looked on the internet, he's found an illustration about prayer, never even seen a vending machine, and he's used it in a prominent place in his sermon. And that's what you see all over in Africa. So what we're really trying to do with this project more than anything is model the application of the Word of God for Africans, so they see it as their own. They're, they're God speaking to them through their own wisdom, their own illustrations. But as we said earlier, Africa is everything. It, it's urban and it's tribal. Sure. And I mean, sure. how do you how do you bridge the gap between all those differences? Well, there's so much uh, migration, ur- urban and uh, rural, that people from the urban centers they go back to their ancestral homelands, so they know. You know, they're told stories from their parents, whatever it may be. Um, so there's there's crossover, there's knowledge, there's traditional understanding, there's a lot of oral culture and stories. Um, so even with the great changes in culture, um, there's tremendous understanding of what it is to be African. I wanted to ask you about the orality of this because so much of it is oral. Uh, have you been able to capture that in, in any way in this printed study Bible, or are you doing that? You know, I, I hope if you read it, you'd see a certain cadence, a certain Africanness, and also the—I'll give you a good example. Obviously, in a study Bible, there's book introductions. In that, in a Western context, you'll leave, usually see an outline, A, B, C, D, E, but that's not really how Africans think. <laughs> so our thing is somewhat an outline, but what we've called it is the theme and the rhythm of the book. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And so we're not looking for a Western start at verse I mean, there were no verses in the scriptures right, when right, it was yeah, written, yeah. right? Yeah, start we, at we verse that up, one to we? verse eight is this. Verse nine to verse 14 is this. 
you know, we're not doing that. So we're you're looking starting over, really. Stories, themes, patterns. What's the rhythm that Paul is trying to say in this epistle? Not the westernized outline. And so those are the kinds of things that we're trying to do to, to, to let it speak to the heart of the people. That's incredible, but it's also got to be very challenging. The, the other thing that I think is really exciting is we're seeing many things come to the fore where we understand the scriptures better because of what the Africans are saying. Yeah. Because yeah, their I, I culture, wanted to ask you about that. We, we right. call it the bridge back, right? Right. You know, they don't just learn from us. We need to learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. We were having a discussion on some of the notes on Esther uh, the other day, and just the insight of these writers on Esther compared to a Western understanding and the political context of a household and uh, the wives not being about sex, but about the process not being about uh, just physical relationships, but about uh, community and nation and and tribe and the understanding they bring to Esther is, is beyond our context. It's things we just don't get as a Westerner. Hmm. Study Bibles like this have committees that oversee it, lots of yeah. uh, lots of intellectual input, lots of scholarship. Uh, right. You're getting all that. You found all that in Africa. We have about 20 editors, rewriters, and reviewers. Um, one of the things that the committee that formed the vision for the Bible, which was totally African, uh, said to us is anyone is African who's African in heart. So if you have a missionary that lives with us for, and I, I was really surprised at this. I said, wow, that's your decision? Yeah. If you have somebody who's lived with us and been with us and known our hearts as a senior statesman uh, for 20 or 30 years. They're in they're, the club, huh? <laughs> they're African to us, yeah. and they can participate. So out of 300 writers, we might have five Western missionaries, but so there's a conglomeration of editors and reviewers and African or huge African knowledge, one of the two. You've uh, spent so much time on this and spent time in Africa. I've never been on the continent of Africa, although yeah. I've been to many parts of the world. I've never been on the continent of Africa. How can we pray? How can we, how can we support what you're doing? Well, there is a website, africastudybible.com. Good. We'll put that on our website, too. <laughs> Wonderful. And right now, the editorial process is really in full swing. And so I said 70% in the inf- of the stuff of the content is in and in editorial. We have that 30% that's still with authors. We need to get that in. So it's been assigned to people. They need to finish in their deadline what they've committed to write on. When do you hope to have it finished? We hope soon by the end of this year, everything will be in typesetting. All right. Publication will follow. Yep. And then the excitement begins, huh? Then we have the task of distribution. And I, you know, the enthusiasm of African leaders for this project is really amazing. We have leaders of many, many denominations of millions upon millions upon millions of people that said, please bring this to our pastors. Please let us highlight this to our leaders. Um, how can we partner with you to get copies out to, to our people? They need it so, so very, very much. Well, the soon release of this new African Study Bible is exciting news, and I look forward to hearing how God will use it in the days ahead. Our guest has been Matthew Elliott of Oasis International, and we'll put additional information and links to Oasis on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. And the new Far East Broadcasting Company daily audio feature, FEBC Today, can be heard online. 
Each day, Ed Cannon, president of FEBC, joins me in the studio to tell the stories of lives transformed by the power of the gospel as proclaimed by FEBC. To listen to FEBC Today online, simply click on the FEBC link you'll find at firstpersoninterview.com. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.